You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Wearing my hat as a political analyst, this is a short reflection on the State of the Nation address that we've just heard from President Cyril Ramaphosa. There's a lot to say in the minutiae, and I will write about some of that for timeslive.co.za over the next couple of days. But there's a couple of quick points that I think are important to make in the immediate aftermath of the delivery of the State of the Nation address for 2023. The first point for me to make is that, again, the president, as the ANC leader did with the January the 8th statement, talked about how resilient and hopeful South Africans are at the beginning of his speech. And that, in my mind, is an attempt to tap into South Africans' collective psychological insistence on surviving hardship. I don't think we should fall for it. And that's me responding as a citizen, because what the president is doing there analytically is to say to the nation, you can survive us. And it is rhetorically a good flourish, but of course, it's also simultaneously disingenuous insofar as it is not a self-examination move on his part of why the hardship and the many crises that he's asking us to survive, to endure, and to be resilient in the face of came about. And if we were to go down that path, the answer would be obvious from a diagnosis point of view that this current ANC government led by President Sora Ramaphosa and his predecessors in that office have a massive contribution to play in how we got to the state of the nation that we are currently in. So that was an interesting attempt rhetorically to sound as if you are optimistic, as if you can garner South Africans around a theme of resilience and hope and make us think back to every single time we were on the proverbial brink, but we pulled ourselves back collectively. I hate it when leadership does that in politics the world over, because it's often a deflection from examining their own actions or inaction that got us to the proverbial brink in the first place. So that's the first observation that came to mind for me. The second is that, again, and the echo back to January the 8th is interesting. The ANC president, and in this case, as executive head of government, is very good at sounding, as I've said before, on different platforms, as if he is a pundit or a pundit or a leader of the opposition. He describes the problems in a way that is detached from his own agency and his own legal and constitutional powers to make a difference. So we will, quote unquote, acknowledge that we have challenges, but without seriously implicating himself 
in the making of those challenges. And we see that dotted throughout the speech, where there's a recognition that the energy insecurity is a massive problem in terms of driving low economic growth, for example, that when it comes to reading, it is, quite frankly, a disgrace that millions of South Africans' children are unable to read for comprehension. And he talks about these problems in a way that describe them as if he is describing it outside of his own office rather than as someone who's got a duty and power to effect the necessary change to make sure that our economic growth is more than 1%, more than 5% sustainably over a number of years to really seriously deal with unemployment, poverty and inequality. And so that for me was a second observation point that the president continues this motif of analyzing the state of the nation as if he lacks agency. And I think that's really important for us to reflect on. Probably the most important headline you're going to see in newspapers tomorrow, spoken about on open lines, talk shows across the country, and even on news platforms, perhaps like our own, Times Live, and in the weekend papers, um, like the Sunday Times, is this focus on a minister of electricity that had been announced and a state of national disaster in relation to energy insecurity. And again, I think it's important to observe what's going on from a political analysis viewpoint. The president wants to be seen to be acting, to be doing something, rather than to be accused of indifference or stasis. But, you know, you've got to ask the question, is there something about the current structure of government that has emasculated the president and disabled him from dealing with the electricity crisis before? And the answer is no. And so it's double-edged. On the one hand, you don't want to be that person who is relentlessly negative when the president is trying to put something on the table in the solution space. Otherwise, we're just accepting the status quo as a fair company that can't be moved, right? And so, of course, we have to be future-oriented and try different things. So you don't want to be that citizen who is knocking every proposal from the president. But I think it would also be, in the same breath, disingenuous to not notice what's going on here. It is the lack of technocracy, an effective technocracy, that got us to the energy insecurity. It is the fleecing of public institutions and parts of the entire state architecture which we now refer to as state capture, that got us to this crisis. It's board after board after board not doing its job at ESCOM, being completely pliant and ultimately being controlled by nefarious private sector interests like the Gupta brothers and political principles that were happily in cahoots with dodgy private sector players that got us here. So when the president announces a new decision, like a minister of electricity, Again, it makes it seem as if, by implication, there's a history that got us to this point that the ANC-led government, now led by him, and this government that came before him, had nothing to do with this event. And it leaves us as citizens, I guess, in a position where, on the one hand, there's lots of stuff that's being announced constantly, but on the other hand, we also have a history of this ANC government not delivering. And so, for me, the two overall conclusions, I guess, is 
the president is very good at describing the crisis without taking genuine moral, political, and constitutional accountability for it. And secondly, all of these news and new announcements would be more exciting if the trust deficit wasn't as big as it is. But unfortunately, you and I have got way too many examples of announcements being made without those announcements being realized in practice. The consequence of that is you can be forgiven, and in fact it's rational to be skeptical about the likelihood of any new initiatives seeing the light of day, because the track record of this government, including under the leadership of President Ramaphosa, is not particularly good.